name is Sophia. My name is Steve. My name is Lauren. Jade. Greg. Ben. Lindsay. Kim. I'm a student. I am an advocate for mental health. I'm a dad. I am a videographer. I am a giant nerd. I am an engineer. I'm a senior in high school. I'm a barista. I'm a volleyball player. I'm a husband and father of four. I am a designer. I am a foster dad. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Well, aloha and good morning, Front Range Church. How are you guys doing? I need to, uh, Ernest downplayed quite a bit your guys' role in getting our church off the ground all the way out in Hawaii. And so uh, I've been trying to make this trip for two years. We had it planned, and then COVID decided to unplan it and getting back to it now. But you guys are one of the major reasons why we got off the ground. We just celebrated our fifth birthday, which really kind of feels like our... First birthday, because we had to pretty much relaunch coming out of COVID, um, and, uh, and all that went with that, but you guys have played such a huge role. We met Ernest uh, at our church planner training, and it was funny because uh, of all the people presenting, we're like, this is going to do nothing for us in Hawaii. It was like a, a, a training for people planting churches in the Bible Belt, <laughs> you know, and we're like, our cost of living is like 18 times higher than that, and our, you know, and, and then Ernest comes up and kind of shares about your journey here and, and, and their journey of planting this church. And I said, okay, now this we can relate to, and we connected, and then, man, he and Sarah have just been such a blessing to my wife and I, my wife's name is Sarah as well, something about good wives named Sarah, I don't know what that is, um, but they've been such a blessing and you guys have been such a blessing, just your generosity investing in us. We've, uh, over the course of five years, seen almost 500 people commit their life to Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and, it's, and we know that because they turn in cards that literally say, I committed my life to Jesus today. Um, and so we could not do that without you guys. And then my wife and I, I mean, Ernest, you guys have been such a key part, just even relationally encouraging us. We went through some pretty serious health challenges and a lot of things early on that you guys played a huge role in. In fact, I got a picture of my family here. Uh, in fact, two of them. I'm kind of embarrassed. So we don't actually have a picture of our entire family since we had our newest baby. And so you got two pictures up here. All right, that's a little embarrassing, but that's okay. And so this is uh, my beautiful wife, Sarah, and our youngest one, Liliana. And then I got uh, the four over here. As you can tell, we're Niners fans. So I'm also grateful that you guys took Russell Wilson out of the NFC West. Thank you guys, all you Bronco fans. We appreciate that. Uh, but they kind of feel like they, they thought I was coming to, like, Frozen. When I said, I'm going to Denver, and it snows there, you know. And they're like, it's going to be, like, Frozen. And so I'm hesitant to send them some pictures. Every little mound of snow I take a picture of just so they can see there actually is some. But uh, I can't wait to get them out here as well to, uh, to meet you guys and be a part of your incredible journey. A um, little background on myself. So I actually grew up in Hawaii. Uh, I grew up there and uh, played football at the University of Hawaii and then felt God continue to call me to play football. I got saved at the University of Hawaii. Didn't grow up in church at all. In fact, had about a, the opposite background you could have and came to faith at the University of Hawaii went on and uh, felt God calling me to keep playing football, but not necessarily just for the sake of football, but really for the sake of ministry, the platform it provided. So when I, I didn't get drafted right away, I sat behind uh, two quarterbacks that were two of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of Hawaii, Timmy Chang, the national record holder, and then Nick Rolovich. Um, and so I, I played sparingly enough to keep playing, but not enough to get drafted. So I said, hey, keep on playing. So went to a seminary program for six months to get better equipped, ended up uh, playing arena ball and indoor ball in various locations, landed in North 
North Carolina, of all places, in a town called Fayetteville. I had no idea where it was. You probably don't either. That's okay, because it's not a place most people go unless you're in the Army. And I said, Fayetteville, where's that? And my GM, I was playing for a team in Seattle, got traded. He goes, I don't know where it is, but they, they want you, so you're going to go there, all right? And I got a plane to Carolina and spent about 10 years there both as a full-time pastor and a full-time football player, which was pretty cool. And then felt God stir our hearts to go back home and plant a church in Hawaii. Um, long story there, but a little bit of my backdrop. And I'm excited because I get the privilege today to talk through Ephesians chapter 4. And, and one of the big themes we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is a similar theme I've been preaching on. We've been in Colossians the last few weeks, and so there's a theme that runs. Both books are, are, are kind of common. Scholars believe that Paul wrote them simultaneously uh, out of prison there in Rome, and, and have very similar themes, and one of these is maturity in Christ. And if we're talking about our identity, there's, there's a place that Paul wants us all to get to, and it's this place called maturity in Christ. In fact, let me go to Colossians first. We're diving into Ephesians. In verse 28 in chapter 1, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling. Say struggling. struggling. You know, like with a little, ah, uh, Struggling. Like struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And the word here used in the Greek is the same word for like training for Olympians, right? Olympic athletes struggling and toiling, trying to get better, trying to gain that fraction of increase. That's the word Paul is using here. In fact, it's the root word of our word agony. And so Paul said, man, there's one thing I agonize over. There's one thing I toil over, right? I mean, he's been in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. All over the place, there's one thing he's looking for us, and that's to present us mature in Jesus and actually bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God that God calls us to bear. And so the, the title of the message today is simply this. It's the pathway to maturity. Because in Ephesians chapter 4, I really see Paul kind of lay out this pathway, three steps to it. In fact, I'll lay it out for you right now before we get into the text. It's belong, believe, behave. Say with me, belong, believe, behave. Made it three Bs, super simple. All of us can get it, right? But you're going to see Paul lay this out. And for most Christians, again, I didn't grow up in church, but of the ones I've talked to who did grow in church, maybe this is your experience as well, this is not the normal pattern of religious settings. Most religious communities, it's kind of flipped, unfortunately, where at least in the United States where it's, no, no, you have to behave a certain way, at least outwardly, and ascribe to a certain set of beliefs as determined by our leadership and our community in order to belong in this community. And, and I can tell you as a person who didn't grow up in church, one of the reasons why I never set foot in a church was because it never had any relevance to me and because I felt like I was never allowed. Because I obviously didn't believe and so therefore I didn't behave the same way and so therefore I felt like I was not allowed to enter. And I started dating a girl in high school who was on, you know, on the worship team playing drums and stuff. said, okay, she invited me so I figured I'm allowed to go just because I'm her guest. But again, because I didn't believe and behave like everyone else, I figured I'm not allowed to come here alone. In fact, it was funny, it was, uh, as a football player at UH, I, I traveled as a freshman. Our team was so bad, we set the record for uh, the, the, we were the only team in history to go 0-12. Like teams had gone 0-11, but because we were Hawaii, we had the extra bonus game, and we went 0-12, so we set the record, yes. Um, and we were so bad, I was, I, thankfully I redshirted, but they said, look, we're going to start you the next four years, so we want to we sit you this year. I was really skinny, and they just knew I was going to get killed, and we had the worst offense in the country. So we're not going to waste your year, but we want you to travel with us 
everywhere we go. And again, those are some long trips, and they are boring. If you know you're not playing, you have nothing to do because you're just locked up in the team hotel. And so by that point, I figured, okay, I had a girlfriend, took me to church a couple times. I'll go to the team chapel. I'm curious, and there's nothing else to do. And that's really where the seeds were planted over the course of a year that, that my life, I, I came to faith in them. And what was cool now is I actually get to serve as the chaplain for the University of Hawaii football team, coming full circle, kind of doing the same thing. Just a little side note on that. But I just remember, you know, it's like there's something about the culture that's created when you feel like I have to behave a certain way and, and then believe a certain way in order to belong in this community. And so Paul flips it and he says, no, no, this is the pathway to maturity. And I don't, I don't have earnest, incredible intellect or suave hairstyle, so I'm going to let the Bible do most of the talking for me. You guys cool with that? We're going to read almost every verse in Ephesians 4 this morning. So starting at verse 1, Paul lays it out. And he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. I'll pause right here. So we see right off the bat, Paul's laying out this, this, these instructions, this pathway, and the first part is about behaving in a certain way that allows people to belong. See, unity is one of those kind of precursors to maturity. And he lays out five key attitudes here that he's saying, if these are in a part of your community, you're going to create an atmosphere where people can really come and really feel as if they can belong. The first one is you've got to be humble, right? You've got to recognize that your need for God and for other people, right? It's, you, you can't just be self-sufficient. And I've just learned that, man, humility looks good on everyone, but pride looks terrible on anyone, amen? So he starts with being humble. And he says be gentle, right? We don't want, we don't want any know-it-alls here. We want to be gentle. We want to make room for other people that, that may not be exactly like we are right now. Then he says have patience, right? Have patience because you got to have the ability to work with other people who are at various levels of maturity. And if you're like me, you've kind of prayed many times, Lord, I, I, give me the patience, but please hurry because this person's driving me crazy, right? Be patient with the people so they can grow. Then he says the long-suffering and forbearance, right? We've got to hang in there with those who may offend you, with those who may rub you the wrong way, with those who may be taking a little longer to get it and to catch it than others may. And then he says, finally, have peace, right? That calm, that relaxed, that sense that I'm not easily offended. I can actually allow room for people to grow and to become who God's called them to be in this environment. So we see unity is critical in the church, and we've got to create an environment of grace where people can belong while they work out what they believe, amen? He goes on in verse 11, he says, now these things, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, their responsibilities to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I could preach this a bunch of different ways, but to keep the focus where we're going, notice the connection between unity and maturity. Right? He says, we're going to come to such unity that we will be mature, measuring up to the full standard of Christ. We can't have maturity if we don't first have unity. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a disciple all out by themselves. We've got to have unity if we're going to come to a place of 
maturity. Verse 14, he says, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We're not going to be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love this. Look, as we maintain unity, Amongst us as a community of believers through living out these attitudes and empowering every believer to contribute their special work to the body of Christ, it causes every single one of us to grow. And it creates this great atmosphere that communicates love to all those who are in our midst. It's a beautiful picture. That's why we need every single part of the body of Christ to feel like they can belong. Amen? Even those who are just working it out, trust me, with my background, it took me a long time to work it out. Thank God I was around a bunch of people that were comfortable and confident and gracious enough to allow me the room I needed to grow and for God to grow me along that pathway. And so we see this first step on the pathway to maturity is to belong, right? And and it's not just for the people coming in. Again, we see it. In order for us as a body of Christ to grow and to reach our full context, we need contributions from every single member of Christ, whatever that looks like. Early on, again, because of my height, I can't sing a lick, but I can set some pipe and drape, amen? So set up team, tear down team, that was my jam for years. All right, I I, I can do that, okay? I can contribute that special work. No step ladder needed, people, I got this, all right? God has sent me to you to help with We all have a part to play, and yes, I'm working everything else out. My life does not look put all together, but I can be a blessing to this body of Christ, amen? That's what Paul's talking about. Then he goes on to the second step, which is believe. Say believe. Because once we can belong, now we have a chance to develop our faith. And he says, with the Lord's authority, in verse 17, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from life, the life that God gives, because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Let me unpack this for a moment because this was a massive part of my personal experience coming from a place of completely being unchurched into a place of spiritual maturity, which I I hope I'm walking in right now. But I know Pastor Ernest, I've watched some of the the, the messages in this series already, brilliant series, by the way, love it. And I, I know we talked about the difference between the Gentiles and the Jews, and really there's a different mindset. Right? When, when I was a Gentile, when I was not a person of faith, my worldview revolved around myself. It was me, myself, and I, and how I can kind of fit in the bigger picture. When I became a person of faith, as a believer, my worldview now revolves around God and others. And there's a massive difference there. And what happened was, again, I shared, I didn't grow up in church, and so as my belief began to grow in large part because of the support and encouragement and life experiences from the community of believers I was a part of, again, that's a huge part of developing our beliefs, all of a sudden, as I saw it lived out in others' lives, my life began to get developed. They began to help me read my Bible. I had never read my Bible. They began to help me read my Bible and learn how to pray and all these things that are are necessary for us to follow Christ. And what happened is my beliefs began to change. And my parents didn't like that very much. 
um, coming from a little background. So my parents have a, uh, you know, very intellectual background and uh, kind of both, they met in Berkeley, California as activists kind of rebelling from uh, the, the conservative places they grew up in. My, my mom grew up in New Jersey, very religious, conservative environment. Basically, women were only allowed to have babies and get married, and that was about it. And so that's why I got two last names. By the way, my mom was woke before woke was a thing. So they got married. She's like, I'm not going to give you my last name. Why should a woman have to give up her last name and all that? So I got two of them, and that's why, if you're wondering. Um, and so she moved, she, she kind of rebelled, moved out to Berkeley. My dad lost his faith in Vietnam and, and couldn't kind of grasp there was, a, there was a God and all that he saw and experienced. And so uh, he also became an activist. He was a lawyer. He went to a Harvard undergrad, Columbia Law School, uh, became a civil rights attorney, moved out west. When I grew up in Hawaii, his first job was the deputy director of the state civil rights commission. And so, again, they loved us to death, and because they'd never experienced life through religious context, their way of loving us was keeping us as far from church as possible. And so when now I came home, and now all of a sudden I'm going to church, and I'm attending church, and now I'm beginning to believe. And the thing is, when you begin to believe, that's when you begin to behave a certain way. And because of my beliefs and the shift in my allegiance in my heart, I was no longer saying things, you know, people just ask me, man, what, are you, what, are you, what were your biggest string, uh, sin struggles growing up? I was like, I didn't struggle with sin because I didn't have any sin. <laughs> I didn't believe in the Bible, so I had no sin, right? I just did what I wanted to do. And so it was now all of a sudden, rather than saying what I felt was right and good was right and good, now I have an allegiance to what God says is right and good, and it began to change the way I thought. And there came a point where I began to live my life based on faith rather than just kind of human reasoning and logic and all that. And at one point, my, my mom, I remember this one decision I was making that really felt God calling me a certain direction, and it, and it didn't, you know, there's certain things that God tells you to do that just don't make sense to the world, Right. And so it was just one of those, my, wife, my mom's crying, she says, you've ruined your life, this is the worst decision you could ever make, and my dad looks me square in the eyes, and again, this is coming from a place of love, he says, you are not the son I'd hoped to raise. I cannot believe you're putting your faith in a God you cannot see. I've taught you better than this. And it wasn't because they didn't like me, it was because they did, and they thought I had just gotten connected to some weird cult, because... I belonged this place and I was committed to church and I was going to church and it was changing the way I believed, which was changing the way I behaved. I just had to look at them and say, guys, I know you don't share the same faith that I do, but I promise you, you're going to see at some point down the road why God is calling me to make the decisions I'm making right now. Because when you believe a certain way, it changes the way you behave. And for, for so many of us, we think, well, if I'm going to become mature in Christ, I've got to try so hard. I've got to do so well. I've got to check off every box in my Bible reading plan. I've got to do all these things. And we make it about us rather than about God. When the Bible makes it all about God, right? Without his grace, we are nothing. And so, see, this is the, the secret sauce. It's changing the way you think. That's all repentance. That's why Paul says, be transformed in the renewing of your mind. See, the way you become mature in Christ is you begin to say the same things about, that God says about certain things. And so for me, again, it was my allegiance now. I am declaring what God says is true and what God says is good and what God says is right. That's what I'm accepting as true and good and right. And the crazy part is my actions did not and don't always line up with that. Amen? None of us do. But every time my actions don't align with God, rather than insisting God change, that's where I've got to change. And so I would sit there and, I, and I'd, I'd do a thing that, again, because I'd, be, I'd literally be reading the Bible and be like, oh, man, Lord, I'm in sin right now. 
I did not realize this was a problem. That's how far from God I was. And so in that moment, in that response, I'd say, God, I need you to help me change in this area. And it didn't happen overnight. But every time I would stumble in a certain area, all of a sudden now I would have to say, God, I've been wrong. What I've done is not right. It's not good, it's not true, it's not healthy in your eyes, so therefore, it's not right. Even though it's my experience now, I know you can transform me on the inside, so I'm declaring right now, I'm sorry, that's all repentance is. Practical example, okay? You know, I grew up, and and one of the things my dad would always say was, man, the church just wants your money. And so when I came to faith in college, my pastor starts teaching me about tithing. And first thought, oh, the church just wants my money. Then I thought, well, wait a second, I make $120 a month. That's $12 a month that the pastor is asking for. I don't know how far that's going in the church budget. So maybe there's something bigger. And so in that moment, I had to switch again. What I said was true and right is that my money is mine. I earn it. I make it. Therefore, I choose what to do with it. And I had to shift to what God says, which is, Your money is what I give you. I'm your provider, not yourself. Don't carry that responsibility. What I'm giving you, simply give me back 10%, and I'll make sure you always have enough, not just for yourself, but for those around you. You are blessed to be a blessing, is the way we say it. So what I had to do was I had to change my beliefs about what was good and what was true and what was right. You see how that works? And next thing you know, I begin to behave in in, in following that pattern, and for 20-some-odd years, my wife and I have never not given our first 10% back to God. Like, we would never even think about that. And here, here's why I bring that up. So moving from North Carolina, what's called the armpit of North Carolina, one of the lowest cost of livings in the country, to Hawaii, which is either the highest or one of the top highest cost of livings in the country. Uh, so we owned a house in North Carolina that was a laughing stock in terms of price in Hawaii. So we sold that house, made decent money. The first thing we did was tithe. Why? Because we believe this is what God says to do. And my dad, what are you doing? This is irresponsible. You don't even have enough to buy a house there and whatever. And we said, Dad, look, this is what God says is right. This is what we're going to do. Made no sense to people in the world. But we did it. Why? Because it's what God says to do. It's what's true and what's right. And fast forward, during the, by the grace of God, we were able to purchase a townhome, but it's a great house, which is uh, close to in value now of a million dollars now because our real estate market is out of control. Three-bedroom, two-bathroom townhome, guys. God bless. We got me, my wife, five kids, and her sister all live in this. God bless us. But we're making it work, all right? But we bought it, and here's the cool thing. All that's translated to our church, and during two years of a pandemic when we were, again, most people are barely trying to survive, we were able to sow over $300,000 into our community helping prop up the only shelter for women who have been rescued from human trafficking on our island for adult women. And that now is transferred to we're opening a second one on the mainland now in two weeks so that the ones who need to get out of their context and uh, that we, do, we adopted a homeless shelter out there, helping families who are struggling. All these things were able to happen. Why? Because we shifted from believing that our money was ours to our money was God's. Is it always easy? No, but it was always right? Yes. And you can put that into any context you want. You want to change your behavior, change your beliefs. Align your beliefs with what God says is true and right. And when your behavior falls short of that, acknowledge that, you know what, God, I am wrong. You are right. I repent, right? I'm going to change the way I think. Help me now 
to live the way you've called me to live and change me from the inside out. And what I love about it is Paul, that's kind of where he gets to uh, in, the, in the final portion of this chapter, verse 25, he, he tells him, he gets to the behavior, he says, all right, guys, so stop telling lies, let, all, let us tell all our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And notice the behaviors he starts with are the behaviors that make it hard to belong, right, to make it unenjoyable to belong. But then what I love is he takes it a step further, and he, he introduces what a, a pastor friend of mine calls the responsibility scale, right? And the responsibility scale is simple, right? You got the, the, the negative side, and those are the areas where we are in sin, where we're kind of hurting others or taking from others. And so something like lying would be a negative, right? Uh, something like stealing would be a negative. And so just stopping stealing, right, that would put us at zero. But how many of you guys know God doesn't want us just to stay at zero, right? He wants us to live in the positive. And so Paul goes into verse 28 and he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. See, Jesus has always called us to the plus side. Zero is not where he wants us to live. He wants us to go, you were once in the negative. I'm going to bring you to a place of zero and then I'm going to call you to actually live and empower you to live in the positive. He goes on and he says in verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So rather than just stopping tearing people down with your words, be intentional to use your words to build other people up. Live in the positive. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, maturity lives in the plus side. It's about producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the people around us experiencing that fruit at work. We can't settle for zero when God is calling us to live in the plus. And it's when we live in the plus that those who are young in the faith or not yet of the faith, they see the fruit of us living in the plus, and it draws them to the author of our faith, right, the producer of that fruit. And they can now get involved into a community of believers who are engaging them and letting them belong before they believe. You see the pattern here? It's the pathway to maturity, right? Belong, believe, behave. Belong, believe, behave. This is how Paul lays out us becoming mature in Christ. Because maturity recognizes that you can belong before you believe. Because in your belonging, your beliefs will be shaped and supported by those around you. I can't tell you how many times I was just battling, struggling, wrestling through certain things and having people. One of the things I always wrestled through was I thought I had to choose between professional football and ministry. I felt called to both. And I felt like the same level of call to both, and it, it wrecked me. It tore me apart. I had mentors telling me, man, you're just hanging on to pride. You're hanging on to a pipe dream. You need to stop all this nonsense. Just give up your, your, your football dreams and, and answer the call of God and step into ministry. And it's like, but I, I can't do that and stand before God with integrity because I also feel called to keep playing football. Lord, what do I do? And I heard God say, I never said either or. I said, I'm a God of both and. And I land in Fayetteville and through a series of connections get connected to Mana Church there. And the pastor says, man, you're exactly who we've been praying for. We want you to keep playing football because it's going to give you a great platform. And we want you to lead our student ministry. 
And over the course of a couple of years, we launched dozens and dozens, over 25 outreach-based clubs in our public schools, middle school, high school, college. Created a ministry reaching thousands of students every week, all while playing football, all while traveling, all while doing that. And it was just, how did it happen? The grace of God, walking into maturity, trying to live on the plus side. See, this is what it looks like. Maturity recognizes, you know what? God's got a call, and it's to bear fruit. So i got to surround myself with some people. They're going to encourage me and build me up and help me get there and be welcoming when I bring my friends who aren't there yet into the environment to help shape our beliefs that will lead us to this behaviors that produce the fruit of the Spirit. And it sounds super simple, just three steps, right? But it's not, and that's why so many of us have different experiences coming out of previous church backgrounds. No, you got to behave this way. You can't dare. How dare you believe? How dare you wrestle with your faith? You know, no, no, give room. There's grace. And so as I close out today, I just want to leave you with three super simple action steps. First one along the, along the idea of, of belong is be a host. Be a host. If you call Front Range Church your home church, be a host. You're not a guest here. And so what that means, super simple, this is what we tell our team all the time. If you ever, which happens every week because we have guests every week, if you ever see someone you don't recognize, be a host and introduce yourself, right? You wouldn't let someone come into your home that you don't recognize and not introduce yourself, right? You don't have to have a title to do that. This is your home. This is your home. Let's help people belong in this home. And so the number one feedback we get every week, if we, we call ourselves, to start out with, we called ourselves the friendliest church on Oahu. We gave ourselves that title. But we did it because we knew we would grow into that. Because we practice, and sure enough, now we are the, we're known as the friendliest church on Oahu to, 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 to people that have come into our church and been a part of our church. Man, it feels like I'm so welcome here. All we do is make sure people engage people. Hey, I haven't met you yet. What's your name? This is your first time? Oh, no, I usually go to the 10 o'clock. No wonder I haven't seen you yet. Or I've seen you across the way. I never introduced myself. Hey, what's your name? It's amazing how much that helps people feel like they're welcome and feel like they can belong in this place. And we have people from all kinds of different backgrounds and, and lifestyle choices and all these different things that feel like, you know what, I'm welcome here simply because we have people that engage as hosts, not just guests. Second thing is let Jesus be right in everything. Just let Jesus be right. Doesn't mean you're always going to be right in obeying him, but what I've found is that we don't really have a knowledge gap. Most of us have an obedience gap. We know more than we need to know. It's just a hard time actually putting it into practice, right? So the number one way to fix it, hey, just, I'm just going to let God be right. When I fall short, I'm going to admit it, let God know he's right, and ask him to help me change. And lastly, live in the plus. Always look for opportunities to not just get to zero, but to actually step into and live in the plus. And in so doing, I truly believe that we can follow these steps into the path of maturity and see this church continue to grow healthy and strong because it's full of healthy, loving believers like you. Tell your neighbor, grow to maturity. That wasn't very strong, all right? <laughs> Tell your neighbor you can grow to maturity. <laughs> right, I don't know if I want to do this, all right? That's why I read the whole chapter of Ephesians chapter 4, right? So, you know, anyway, why don't you guys, let me pray for us as we close, and I'm going to invite Pastor Ernest back up. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you that, that this is an environment of grace. I thank you for 
I mean, we've experienced the fruit and the maturity of this local church all the way across the Pacific Ocean in Hawaii, God. And I just thank you, and I pray that you would open up every heart and mind and plant the seeds of this word into fertile soil, that you would bear fruit that would change this community, change households, change lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.